Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, Neon, Helium, Xenon, Krypton. Transform and roll out. Mondo Neon Show. I'm with Len Davidson, uh, Neon uh, historian and also a museum curator. And thanks for jumping on the show. Yeah, nice talking to you, Max. So, um, so Len, pretty much everything I do start with, how did you get here with Neon? What, what's, what's essentially your origin story? So it's a long process. Uh, um, Neon was always kind of in the back of my mind as I was growing up in Philadelphia. Um, I used to go to basketball games with my dad, and um, there was this kind of uh, luncheonette that we would go to after the games were over called Levis's. And if you can imagine being a 10-year-old kid um, driving over cobblestone streets where you see this tiny little hot dog at the top of a building, and then as you get closer and closer, it becomes more and more mammoth. Um, and Levis's was a, a business that had opened in 1895, and they had a 13-foot neon hot dog outside of there, and that was just fascinating to me. Um, so they were just, you know, memorable, memorable times as a child. And then many years later, I became a sociologist and I was teaching at University of Florida and became really friendly with a, a guy from Nashville. And we started trading stories with each other um, about uh, roadside America and neon signs and larger than life figures, you know, buildings shaped like objects, all that kind of stuff. And so I started telling him about Levis's hot dogs and I started telling him about giant uh, roadside figures that were in Philadelphia where I was growing up. And uh, he started telling me about an Uncle Sam figure in, in Nashville, Tennessee. And it just led to, um, it, it led to more and more interest in roads in the American roadside. And we eventually opened up a bar and restaurant in Gainesville, Florida in the mid seventies. And as part of the kind of roadside theme of the bar and restaurant, we decided that we would do a neon ceiling and we started combing neon graveyards around Florida, finding old pieces of neon and we put them up on the ceiling and it was really a pretty magical effect. And that's what kind of hooked me. That's what really got me into neon. And also to, uh, you know, the neighborhoods that are, that you're kind of talking about, there was this, I think there were commercial districts and, and creations that are, are really, I think, you know, sort of under underappreciated, I think at a time when people kind of remember them and then by the time we kind of get to them, they're gone, right? Uh, you know, these these kind of uh, award-winning signs that we think about now were in the collective conscience of, you know, pretty much anybody who, who came into whatever contact, whether it was like their favorite restaurant, um, you know, they really kind of publish themselves, you know, they really become a part of that. How, you know, when you were kind of, capturing all this neon equipment did you know or in different pieces were you kind of already further along the lines of of making a collection or was it just because i really enjoyed this you know i'm gonna just you know get as much of this stuff as i can get well you know when i was growing up neon was just part of everyday life and it wasn't something that you stopped and particularly looked at um but when i moved back to philadelphia uh, in 1979, after doing this foreign restaurant, it was something that uh, I really started valuing because I, you know, not only was collecting some signs down there, but I started hanging out with um, 
with two benders and sign men and, and collecting their stories because I'm really a sociologist. And, you know, there's stories about uh, designing neon and making neon signs and legendary signs were really uh, one of the things that turned me on to neon. But when I moved back to Philly, there was still remnants of kind of a neon wonderland here. You know, there had been dozens of sign shops in Philadelphia and some really incredible incredible things that were still left on the street. So uh, during the 1980s, I just would roam up and down virtually every street in the city. I would spend at least one day a week, no matter what I was doing, I'd take that one day and I'd go cruising around the city looking for old neon signs and taking photographs of them and, uh, and collecting them too. Sometimes I'd find, um, you know, old hardware stores that would have an inoperable sign hanging in the window and I'd buy the sign and I'd fix it up or I'd find vacant buildings and, you know, try and locate the owners. I'd go to old sign shops and sometimes they would have signs just laying around that they would let me have for free or they charge me a few bucks for them. So there were just a multitude of ways of, um, of picking up neon first in Florida and then later on in Philly. And when, you know, 2017 rolls around, you, you had this show at Drexel I, and where you've installed, you know, 29 signs. There was a, a former Firestone tire store sign that you had, yeah. um, which, you know, which is interesting, you know, a lot of the universities too, you know, you can kind of get to a place where people have, uh, have now recognized these as landmarks, um, you know, the, the, the creation of all these different signs and what goes into them. I mean, I think it intrigues most people nowadays where, you know, I think we're just kind of trying to get our, uh, as a neon collective, you know, certain cities have established um, certain museums uh, to, to, to place all of these different signs. Tell me about, you know, the museum uh, that you're in the midst of creating and, and whatever the kind of, I guess the founding and the mission behind it. Yeah. Well, Drexel was one step in the road towards the museum, but really ever since the 1980s, I've been displaying uh, neon signs and looking for a permanent home where I can show them. And I had exhibits of 50 signs at Community College of Philadelphia. And then, I, and then for, for six years, I had an exhibit of about 13 signs uh, at the Center for Architecture in Philadelphia. But I never found a place where um, I could put a really sizable number of the signs up for a long time because the collection has gotten to the point where there's about 150 pieces in it. And then, as you mentioned, uh, Drexel contacted me a couple of years ago and they had bought a Firestone building that they wanted to turn into a student center. And I had done some work with um, uh, Venturi and Scott Brown's firm and the head architect at Drexel used to work for that firm. So she called me and they weren't quite sure and they weren't really ready um, to build the student center. And they had this, this empty building and asked me to, um, you know, to put a neon sign in just to show that there was some life in there. And I ended up putting over 30 signs in the building and they've been renewing that every year. And that kind of wet my appetite a little bit more because um, there was a lot of publicity attached to that and it became kind of a gateway to West Philadelphia where Drexel's located. But again, that's, um, you know, piggybacking on somebody else's space and all along I've wanted to have my own space. So I finally decided around a year ago that 
um, the best way to, to go about doing this was to, to rent a space. And it turns out that there's a place called NextFab, which is a combination kind of co-working space and um, uh, business incubator that was expanding to an area of Philly um, where a lot's going on um, uh, up in Kensington and Northern Liberties area in Philadelphia. And they're renting a block long building and keeping half of it for their own business incubator portion and the other half they're renting out to tenants. So it will become kind of an art mall. And that looked like a really nice setting for me to, um, to set up my museum. It's a building that's got 30 foot high ceilings. And uh, the deal that I worked out with them is that I'm renting my own space um, for displaying neon and for a couple of other things that I can get into talking about. But in addition to that, they're giving me the common areas, the, the hallways and uh, entry areas, which are actually much bigger than my own individual space and I'll be able to put up signs there. So I should have quite quite a large area where I can display neon. But the concept of the museum goes beyond the neon itself. You know, it, initially I was particularly interested in just the signs and, you know, the more figural the sign was, the more animation it had. Uh, that's really what I was valuing. But over the years, I've come to see that the stories behind the signs, um, the culture that the signs speak to, uh, is just as important as the science itself. And what I've gotten really interested in is looking at what Philadelphia and American culture and commercial culture particularly was like in the 20th century, you know, particularly in the mid 50s where you had lots more mom and pop stores, you had kids playing on the streets, you had corner stores. Um, you know, we've gone through kind of a revolution in terms of um, how people do business. And, you know, be before we had, um, you know, all, all this kind of delivery and Amazon and that kind of thing, the, the notion of um, setting up your own small business was just a, a, a much more common way to go in Philly and in the United States. I have an old um, 1950s yellow page phone book and you know you can look up um, anything you know you can look up luncheonettes you could look up clothing stores you could look up most any kind of topic and you'll find dozens and dozens of businesses all over the city um, you know serving the public and that's kind of a lost way of life so what the neon is doing is it's speaking to that period in Philadelphia culture. And I'm not trying to bring that period back, but I'm trying to honor it in some ways. Uh, it's pretty amazing to me how people move into Philadelphia and they have no idea of what this kind of row house city uh, was like, how it used to function, uh, how people would do local shopping and how there were all these kids on the street. So the, the Neon Museum is really there as uh, an art museum to look at neon and appreciate neon but it's kind of a history museum at the same time absolutely i think too is 
you know, when you talk about those different pieces, you know, it seems like the mission of the museum that you started in the 80s is really changed, I think, primarily because it's a response to where we're at in this uh, sort of cultural, uh, you could some say evolution or uh, de-evaluation, whatever you want to call it. I think it marks a change. It's, it's also a dramatic way to gateway to bring sort of old Philly into the new sort of version of it is right now, which... You know, I mean, let's be honest, I think there was a lot of sort of trash talking of neon going on, especially during the 70s when plastics came aboard, um, you know, but now we're in a collective place where we can really not necessarily have to recycle ideas. People realize that there's a significance behind all this work being done by hand. And I think, you know, the restoration projects that our people are doing now, especially within the, the creative space of trying to teach different neon courses, it's not only is it, is it reinvigorated the, the, the culture, but there's a lot more emphasis now on, okay, how do we retain what we have while we kind of move forward? And a lot of museums, especially the other ones that are out there like um, Mona and Museum of Neon, um, a few others that are in the, the Midwest have really done a good job of um, bringing back uh, what was kind of, what was deemed lost or, or just really kind of sort of forgotten. And then, you know, putting a spin on that, you know, whether it's the public for to enjoy it or just, you know, the future of mankind to know that we did this, you know, <laughs> type of work. I mean, and I guess for the guess the question that I'm going to go into is what are the challenges facing neon museums? You know, you just mentioned a few of them, space being one of them. Are there others that come to mind? Well, I think the challenges are broader than what's facing neon museums. The challenges are what's facing neon and what I see happening and what you're mentioning, which I really agree with is that, there's kind of a dual focus. There's a focus on restoration of what's left. And, you know, 99% of the great signs are, are long gone, but there are more and more people who want to save what's, what's still out there. And there seems to be a growing body of young people who are interested in neon as an art form. But the, the problem for neon in general is the decline of sign shops. Um, where vendors used to be able to, you know, do neon for theaters and uh, neon for channel letters and do hundreds, if not thousands of feet of tubing. Now there's much less neon used for these big commercial projects. So as wonderful as it is that there's young people who want to do neon art uh, and as great as it is that um, besides the art, you know, there's some commercial kinds of things like you'll go to breweries and they'll have slogans on the walls and uh, you'll you'll see little neon pieces in um, you know in in restaurants and bars and that kind of thing it, it's it's a nice thing but from um, a, a livelihood point of view in terms of making a living doing neon it's very hard to survive that way because you just don't have all, all of what the old timers used to call bread and butter jobs anymore. You've got either art jobs or you've got um, what I call words on walls or you've got restoration, but the, the mainstream kind of stuff is not, is not there. You know, a lot of it's been replaced by LEDs and, um, and fashions change. So th to me, those are really the challenges for, the, for neon as an industry. But in terms of challenges for a museum, it's really there are a lot of challenges. I mean, there are financial challenges and there's just challenges in, in finding your audience. And each museum is doing something different. Uh, I've spent some time in Cincinnati and I've 
been impressed with what they're doing there. And um, I've been out to Mona when they were in downtown Los Angeles on Traction Avenue. And I'm heading out there in December again to see what they're doing in Glendale. So I'm trying to pick up information and insights from a variety of uh, neon environments around the country. But in terms of what I'm looking to do and the challenges that that I'm facing, I'm in a kind of funny place in that I've had a long neon career. You know, I basically left academia back in the early 1980s and got into neon and really I'm at an age where most people would be retired and I consider myself kind of semi-retired from neon and I'm spending my time putting this museum together uh, out of my own funds and you know utilizing my own my own time and trying to do it um, with a small nucleus of helpers and people who are interested in in neon and want to go along for the ride with me but Eventually, what I'm going to have to do is convert this into um, uh, a nonprofit kind of enterprise so that it survives after I'm long gone. Uh, what's happened with these old signs is that they've become commodities and it'd be very easy to sell the signs and they'd end up in San Francisco or they'd end up in Japan. And since the bulk of my signs are from Philly and they represent you know, iconic landmark businesses in Philadelphia, they need to stay here in Philly. Um, but, you know, the, the value of the signs in some ways works against them staying in their home community. So that's, that's one of the challenges that lots of museums face. You know, there are pickers out there who, um, who are looking to get neon and then resell it. Um, and what a lot of us try and do is, you know, if, if a sign comes from Kansas City, or, you know, the first choice is that it should stay in Kansas City or it should stay in Philadelphia because it's got more meaning in its original home location. So that commodification, while it makes the neon valuable and builds some interest in it, it, it can work against the idea of a museum at the same time. Well, definitely too. I think there's also things like traveling exhibitions. I mean, anybody is aware of that. Certain things do kind of like groups of pieces of artwork will go around. I mean, whether or not you put it on the same pedestal as like a, a you know, a famous painter or whatever, I think the mission doesn't necessarily change it's just the way that you conduct it and different museums do different things. Like you said, is that yeah. each one kind of has its own take on what neon should be or what a neon museum is and let's face it there hasn't been that many you know neon museums haven't been around that long compared to other museums you know in different various states and, and ways of, of creating or forming yeah. but i would that, say that's very true mm -hmm. yeah i mean considering yeah. what you just said too i mean i like the ideas that you're bringing with you know a, a multi a multi-aspect type space meaning you know maybe there's like a, a specific kind of like interesting cafe in the back maybe you know you sell this particular thing on the side and that both spaces sort of coexist one in particular would drive people to uh, a reason to come in whereas the other one might catch them off guard and maybe also pull them in a certain way where you know i'm jumping all over the place but just the idea of having philly neon be a, a philly site you know site specific thing you know, I think that you can make your mark any way you want. I think, you know, clearly you have most of your collection is from Philly. So it makes complete sense to want to, you know, basically make, you know, put that stamp and say, hey, this is, you know, this is the place to be to, to see Philly Neon. And that could be, you know, where you hang your hat. I think either way, 
there's just lots of ways you could do it. But I definitely think having more um, avenues in to, to, to allowing people to kind of, you know, pursue this neon adventure with you makes sense because, you know, you can't just have one, you know, place to see neon and that's, that's it. Then you can just offer one particular, um, you know, advantage point. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I guess what I, I'm saying. I, I agree. And I think that there are really four main aspects to the museum and there's a lot of little sub aspects beyond that. But, you know, the four main things that I'm trying to do are um, restore old neon and, and show that off. And with that, I'm going to have stories about the signs and artifacts from the businesses, uh, photos of those businesses. So that's really the, the, the major focus. But in addition, uh, we're going to have a very active video program, which is the second focus. And we're going to have um, PowerPoints, videos, podcasts, like this kind of thing, um, which will be uh, shown every day that you come into the museum. And they'll be on three broad topic areas. One is obviously, you know, neon, neon restoration, neon artwork, that kind of thing. But also uh, Philadelphia history as a second focus. And as a third focus for the video program, we're going to be looking at Roadside America. So there's you know, there's our cousins, uh, people who are interested in in diners and roadside attractions and fiberglass figures and trolleys and all these kind of things. Um, that Roadside America stuff is going to be another um, element that we're going to want to be showing uh, videos and PowerPoints of. So um, th that's the, the second major area is the video area. And then the third area is we'll be doing neon art shows. Uh, we're going to try and create some space for people who are making new neon art and showing that. And then we'll have a museum store as well. So those are the four main things. And within that, we can do classes and demonstrations and uh, have some events. So I'm really agreeing with, with what you're saying. There's a lot of different ways that you can try and attract people and bring them in. And uh, different elements of the museum will, will appeal to different kinds of people and for different kinds of purposes. Yeah, right. I think, too, is, um, you know, you've got things like the Levi's hot dog from the 50s, the Sherwin-Williams paint. I mean, there's really iconic work going on, especially in your collection. And even, yeah. you know, with your guided tours that you've done, um, you know, the educational work that you have, the background that you do have. I mean, you really have some amazing, uh, you know, different depths. I, I call it depth versus width. A lot of times I wonder, you know, how far you can go with one of these neon museums. But it really is like a great focal point for people to kind of, you know, at least, at least engage with Neon of what it was, you know, I wonder what are, you know, are there other, you know, what future holdings for the museum at this point? Like where, where do we see, you know, you at right now versus, you know, where you want to be? Are you getting closer to that goal? Yeah. In a very practical objective sense, uh, I'm getting pretty close. The, um, the building, this next fab building is under construction and the walls of my space are going up. The uh, electric is being put in, the air and the heat is, is going in. And I expect that by uh, sometime in January, my particular space will be uh, ready for me to move my signs in. The signs are already there, many of them uh, in storage, but they're not in my display space. So when that display space is safe, 
I figure I've got a couple of months of um, actually installing the signs, you know, hanging them, putting them on the walls, uh, moving in the the uh, large screen TV for the videos, putting up the slat wall for um, you know the the art space and for the um, uh, for the museum store. So just you know, I have a lot of physical challenges in putting this thing together, and that's going to be happening over the winter and uh, into the spring. And I would think that um, hopefully early in the spring, I'll be ready to be open to the public. It's it's great, and uh, you know, considering the time frame that you're working in, I mean, it's it's amazing what you've been able to do. Do you have other people you're able to lean on, or how, how does that work in terms of uh, you know your your outreach? Yeah, I've I've got a couple helpers who have been with me long term, and they're going to be working with me. And we've had uh, a couple of meetings over my house of a variety of people, uh, people who are into video, people who are into neon art. Um, different filmmakers, uh, other people who uh, are involved with uh, with the American Roadside. There, there's a woman in suburbs of Philadelphia who has an organization called Retro Roadmap, and she's interested in um, documenting vintage 50s kinds of places, so she wants to be involved with the museum. So it, it's a group of people with lots of overlapping interests who hopefully will be able to come together and uh, it won't just be my hand museum, it'll be the city's museum and I'll be open to, um, to a lot of different kinds of input. And what would you say, you know, in terms of, you know, what advice you want to give to anyone who wants to, is interested in, in becoming a part of this, you know, either, uh, you know, just uh, supporting or, or have, you know, some, some, uh, some reason to reach out to you? How can that, how can they get to you? Well, we're building a new website for the Neon Museum of Philadelphia. At this point, a lot of the contact that I'm making with new people is coming through Instagram. And my Instagram tag is uh, Neon Museum of Philadelphia, those four words put together. So that's, that's a great way to contact me. And I have a present website um, for Davidson Neon Design. Uh, so that that's uh, yet another way to to get to me. Excellent. Well, then I really appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, you know we'll, we'll definitely have to stay tuned for uh, part two when when the museum opens. Uh, I'd love to chat with you when uh, yeah when the doors kick open. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's nice talking to you. All right. Excellent. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't done so, please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice. We have a lot of great neon guests coming up, and as always, thanks for listening.